summer Christmas movies, and then you get mid-bleak winter movies <laughs> in July as those blockbusters. I like documentaries. I like, I like all movies. Um, and I don't mind spoilers. Do you know what a spoiler is? A spoiler is if somebody tells you something about a movie when you've not seen the movie. That sort of gives away a little bit of the story or gives away a little a, a twist that may be in the, in the movie. I don't mind spoilers. Like, I'm going to enjoy the movie regardless. If you tell me how it ends, that's fine if I haven't seen it. I, I'm still going to watch it. I, I still enjoy it. Um, Probably because most of the time, especially when I'm watching movies that are sort of those movies that have a twist or have a, a sort of suspense or are, you know, dramatic, I try and figure out what's going to happen anyway. And so if you tell me, then that's great. I go in. I am not one of those people that read the end of the book before I start reading the beginning of the book. I'm not that. But when it comes to movies, I feel like that's okay. With literature, that's not good. But with movies, it's all right. I say that because I'm about to give a spoiler for a movie for you all, and I just want to make you uh, aware of that. Now, it's a movie that's been out for a long, long time, um, so if you haven't seen it, uh, that's on you, uh, So, because <laughs> you haven't seen it yet. Uh, but it's a movie uh, that's called Unbreakable, and I just recently re-watched this movie with my son. I have a list of movies for Braden and I to watch, and it's, it was in, on that list, and we hadn't taken the time to watch it. And we just sat down and watched Unbreakable. Now, the story of Unbreakable is about a gentleman named David Dunn. Now, David uh, is a guy that's uh, really sort of in a bad place in his life. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, but he is in a train coming back from New York City to Philadelphia. And in that train, there's a massive crash. And everybody uh, basically dies in the crash but him. And he walks away unharmed. He's unbreakable. And so it begins this sort of journey for him trying to figure out how that's even possible. And he begins to think about his life uh, and the fact that he was in a car accident that almost killed his now wife, but he didn't have a scratch on him. And the fact that he's really never been sick in his whole entire life. And there's a gentleman who owns a comic book store, more of a comic book gallery, not a comic book store. And he puts a note on his window and just invites him to come. And they begin to have a conversation. And this, this gentleman who owns it is, has a disease that his bones are very brittle and that he, they break easily. Uh, and so he is pursuing David for some reason, um, trying to figure it out. Telling David that he is something beyond, something unbreakable and what that looks like. And as David's trying to figure out what that is, he lifts tons of weights and he begins to recognize that in, in that uh, he, he can lift enormous amounts of weights. He recognizes that he can sort of tell what's going on in people's lives. He has a gut intuition that lets him know when people are in pain or hurting. And so he begins to take on the role of a comic book superhero. And he goes and he, he saves some people from a desperate situation in that. And he begins to recognize, maybe I am unbreakable. Maybe there's something special about me. And he goes to talk to this man who has this disease that causes him to break his bones easily. And when he's there, he starts to pan the man's office. He sees the pictures of the train crash, and he sees the pictures of a building that had exploded, and he sees the pictures of an airliner that had crashed. And the man tells him that all along he's been looking for simple words, no survivors except for one. 
who miraculously was unhurt. And David begins to recognize that this man had caused all of these tragedies. And as David is walking out, completely and utterly freaked out by this, the man is calling out to him saying, I I now know who I am, because if there is someone like me, there must be someone like you. That if I am Mr. Glass, so breakable, there has to be someone who is unbreakable. And he has set the juxtaposition up that there is this unbreakable superhero, and he is Mr. Glass, the villain. And the reality of that movie is this. It's a movie not about superheroes. It's a movie not about this discovery. It's a movie about identity and how the majority of us build our identity based on what we are against, just like Mr. Glass. Mr. Glass needed to know who I truly am can only be known by knowing the exact opposite of who I am. The thing that I am against. We define ourselves by the opposite things. But as those of us who follow Christ, we are called to be in a posture of for, not a posture of against. All through my life, Growing up, for much of it, there was a thing called the Cold War that went on between the United States and the USSR, now Russia. It it was a thing that defined us. They made movies and wrote books and scared us about it. I had a youth ministry, group of youth ministries who used it to try and get conversions at a campfire and it it made us feel like, you know, the Russians had invaded (laughs) and left us. It was not about who we were. It was about who they were and how we were against them. How they stood for everything we didn't believe in and everything that we couldn't do and everything that we would not hold to. It was an us versus them. Oftentimes in our lives, we define ourselves by what we are not. Not by what we are. Well, I'm not that. But I'm not that. Because it seems to be easier in our flesh to go, I don't know who I am or what I am, but I can tell you what I'm not. Tom Rainer, in a book, he studied Christians and non-Christians. He brings all this information together for leadership in the church. And he asked all sorts of non-Christians and and folks that don't follow Jesus and folks that don't go to church, and he asked them, uh, what do you think about Christians or what what is it about Christians that you would like them to know? And the number one thing they said is this, that Christians are against more things than they are for. That the perception is that Christians are against more things than they are for. But I'm here to tell you that that's not the case. But before we do that, I want to ask why. Why it appears so much easier for us in our flesh, and our, our, our human default, to be against as opposed to be for something. I think there's three reasons why it's easier for us to default to against. The first thing is fear. Our lives sometimes are filled with fear. 
We're feared of change. We're afraid of change. That by being with people that might be different than us, being with people that might hold opposing views than ours, being with people and being for them as opposed to against them, we're fearful that it might change who we are. And we kind of like who we are. We're fearful that we might have to adjust some of the things that we've held true to, that this is what life is. And we're afraid of that. Sometimes we're afraid uh, that people will see us with them and that they will accuse us of being like them. That we are guilty by association. That because we are working with or beside or talking to or spending time with someone who seems to be somebody that we shouldn't, we're afraid that people will say, oh, well, you're like them. Happened to Jesus. He's a friend of drunkards and gluttons. Fear often causes us to be against. The second thing that causes us to be against is disdain. Now, fear is passive. Fear holds back and sets back, and it's avoidant in a way. It's a passive againstness. Disdain is an active againstness. It's that we dislike something about that person, and we disdain it. We count them as the other. Well, they're not like us, and so I shouldn't like them. They hold to a different view than I hold, and so I can't possibly hang out or be in agreement with them. Disdainness looks at someone and says, they're not worthy of me being for them. And so oftentimes in our lives, even though we hate to admit it, we look around and we have disdain. (laughs) for those around us. And that's one reason why we stand in a place of against. Oftentimes the active disdain comes from when we have been hurt by someone. If they've done something that we can count as an offense towards us, it's much easier in our own hearts to turn to a place of being against them with disdain. See, they're a bad person because this happened, because they did this to me, than to turn to them in a posture of four. So fear, disdain, and then lastly is apathy. Apathy is a stance of against. Now apathy springs from a place where we are so self-focused, that we are so much in a place of what's in it for me, a consumer mindset. That everything needs to be about giving me pleasure or giving me assurance or giving me comfort or giving me accolades or giving me giving me. And we become very apathetic to those around us because we don't see them as even being there, as being present. Because all of a sudden our whole world revolves only around us. And so we don't see people who are in trouble or we don't see people who need to be celebrated with. Because we're thinking only of our hearts and only of the things that we need to do. And it puts us in a posture of against. A posture of against is very much turned in on itself. It says, I can only be defined by what is not like me. Now the danger in that, in any place of being against, is oftentimes the very things that we're against, those things, the underlying characteristics that made them so, all of a sudden become the characteristics that we possess. It's funny how it works that way. So for instance, 
We want to be open and, and, and broad and welcoming. And we begin to look out at other places and other people and other gatherings and we say, they're not welcoming, they're not open, they're not like us. We've moved to being against. And then, all of a sudden, we say, even if they wanted to join us, I don't know if we would let them. And what have we become? Closed. Just like we accuse them of being closed. Because we've been against. That's just not the way that it works. When we are confronted by Christ. As those of us who follow Christ, we are called to something else. Not only called, we are transformed and given the ability to move into those places. To be in a posture of for and not a posture of against. Now that Romans 8 chapter is in the middle uh, that we looked at and read earlier is in the middle of a, a large theological, deep, <laughs> beautiful chorus that gives us great understanding that God calls us, comes down, brings us to salvation, that he intercedes for us. But it says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And in that place, we are challenged to move to a place of for and not against. Because if God is for us, then no one can be against us. Then we stand with God in Christ and we are for. We can no longer be against. How is that even possible? Ephesians 2 lets us know that in Christ, hostility is done away with. That there is no place for against anymore. That it's been killed, dead, gone on the cross. That Christ at the cross preaches peace and only peace to you and I. To those who are close and those who are far off. Those who have no clue that there is peace that is offered for them. And those of us who are often forgetful that peace has been given to us. So how does that look? Really, right? How, how, how does it look to have a posture of four? Um, one of my friends, Ryan, is actually taller than my son. Many of you know my son is about 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and Ryan is actually taller than my son. So, you know, this tall. And when you're this tall, as is with Braden, you usually get asked two questions when you are there. Um, one is... Well, there's three. One is, how's the weather up there? The other one is, um, do you play basketball? And then the other one is, just how tall are you? You know, right? And Ryan tells the story that often in his life, before uh, he was 18, it was hard to hear those words. It was hard to have people ask those questions. The, the best one that he says is if people ask how the weather was, he always felt like spitting on them and saying, it's raining up here. <laughs> but... Sometimes when he was 18, 19, he realized that people would come and talk to him and that it gave him the ability to talk to people who would never really talk to him because they are willing to ask a question of him. And it gave him the ability to share his love for Jesus and his love for people. It gave him an entrance into a conversation to get to know them. And he said something changed in him, the spirit changed in him that he was always willing and ready to answer those questions because it allowed him to move into a place of conversation, of 
openness. That's a clear indication of someone who's living in a posture of four. Because of a posture of four does not look for offense. A posture of four does not look for the offense. When we're in a posture of against, whether it be fear, whether it be disdain, whether it be apathy, we're always walking around anticipating an offense. We need it because we need it to justify why we're walking in a place of fear or disdain or apathy. Our eyes are wide open, searching to and fro for the offense that's going to come to us, that's going to, to challenge us, that's going to be the thing that gets our, our ire up because we've been offended. Because nobody should do that. But, but a place of four walks in a place where we're not looking for the offense. As a matter of fact, a place of four walks in the place that knows there can be no offense because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. That on the cross, he took every possible offense that could ever be done in humanity and he placed it upon himself as to say, I will take all the burdens, I will take all the sin, I will take all the unrighteousness, I will take all the offense upon me and now you are released to live free from fear of that offense. That, that we're released from it. That yes, there are going to be things that, that tick us off, that make us nervous, that make us worry. But we cannot let them take seed in our hearts to build the wall of hostility again that has been crushed by Jesus in his work on the cross. We must step to a place of offense. And that's the second step for us, is we don't look for offense when we are in a posture of four, and we walk in repentance. A posture of four says, there but by the grace of God go I. That because of the work of the Father through Jesus Christ and the empowering of the Spirit, I am able to live the life I live. I am able to walk in the way that I walk. No matter how stumbly it is. And that in every occasion and in every moment and in every rela relationship that I have, I will offend. <laughs> I will stand in a posture of against. So where do I look for it? How do I find it? Where do I seek it out? So that I can stand quickly at a place of four by repentance. Saying quickly, my dear brother, my dear sister, my dear friend, my wife, this is where I have wronged you. I have placed myself above you. I've placed myself above everything. I have made myself the center of the universe and I have become against. Please forgive me for doing that. It's so hard to do. But we become open, a posture of four, when we stop looking for offense, when we walk in the way of repentance, and when we begin to acknowledge the work that Christ has done. Colossians leads us in this direction. Colossians 3, let me read it to you from there. It says, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died, and, you are, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, then your life is actually resting, placed in Christ Jesus. That it gives us the ability not to focus on the things below, but the things above. And that's not just looking to the stars and being all pie in the sky. That's the fact that we look at the sacrifice and the movement of God through Jesus. His redemptive pursuit for us and how he has come for us. That's the reason why, very following right after that, Paul says, because of this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too, listen, once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. See that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and after the image of the Creator. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, we don't focus on things below anymore because we don't live in those things anymore. Yes, I know that we sin. I know that we stumble. I know that those things will creep into our lives. But here's the reality for those of us who follow Jesus. We don't live in them anymore. They are gone. We live in Christ. So then, verse 12, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven us. We were enemies, and now we are not. We are sons and daughters. That's how the Lord has forgiven us. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, that which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. For the follower of Jesus who has been confronted by the comforting redemption that comes from Jesus. For the follower of Jesus who has been undone by the unquenchable mercy of the Father who pursues us. We have been placed in Christ giving us the ability to live a life that is a posture of four. Not just for our brothers and sisters, those who are following along with Christ with us, but for all that we seek out, that we pursue, as we talked about in being a posture of welcoming. A posture of welcoming is pursuing. It is going out after. A posture of four says, I will be offended, but I will not hold that offense. A posture of four says, I will need to seek repentance, and I will be quick to run towards it. A posture of four says, how can I be holy and beloved, compassionate, kind, have humility, walk in meekness, and have patience? How can I love all in the way that the Father has loved me? It is that I am for them. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. Is that none of us are the same. And all of us bring stuff with us. 
that we've claimed to be our identity, that we've claimed to be who we are, and they all tend to be things that show us as against. And God in His majesty takes it all, places it on Jesus, and gives us Christ as peace. Tony Campolo is one of my favorite authors. I don't always necessarily agree with everything he writes, but that's okay, because we should be for one another, <laughs> not against. Just because he writes something I don't like, I don't need to be against him. His son, Bart Campolo, worked in ministry with him for years, started all sorts of great things that are still going on to help expand and build the kingdom of God. In 2014, Bart Campolo uh, became an atheist. He said, I, I can't believe this anymore. I can't step into this anymore. I, I, I can't move in that direction anymore. And he walked away. As a matter of fact, now he's one of the top speakers uh, in the atheist speaking circuit. If, if, there's Christian speaking circuits and atheists. Everybody can monetize something. <laughs> Uh, Tony and Bart have a movie and a book that are about to come out. And it's a conversation between the two of them. And just reading some excerpts and, and looking at some things about it, I'm anticipating this book. Because in it we see Tony sitting in a place of four. You see, because... When Bart Campolo came out and said, I'm an atheist, the blowback that came onto Tony in his life and the way that he lived was enormous. The fact that people said, see, your son can't even follow what you're doing. You've either been not open enough and liberal enough, or you've been way too liberal and not conservative enough and true enough. And people were against him and pushed against him. And Tony held fast and a place of openness for his son. Saying, I know where he's at. I, 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 I trust God. And I'll be open to him. And so instead of having a split, and instead of having a separation that took place, they have had ongoing conversations since that time. To the point that both of them, and particularly Bart, recognizing how divisive the world is, because it's walking in a place of against, of fear, of disdain. If you don't believe me, watch your politicians. I think there's some who've made a pretty good craft at building up fear and disdain and apathy and being against as opposed to for. They said because the world is filled with that, because the world assumes that an atheist and a Christian actually can't get along, that they have to be against one another, we need to tell our story. Now, it's a daddy and his little boy, right? Of course they can do that. Isn't that what our cynical hearts want to say? I mean, I would never, never push away one of my children. because of Christ because of Christ 
we are family. Because of Christ and His peace that He preaches, that we shall not limit a peace that goes beyond our imagination. We can see everyone as our family and move to a place of four to one. Let's pray. Father, it's hard to be four people except ourselves. And then oftentimes, even in our foreness for ourselves, it's an against ourselves. We don't believe. So Jesus, rest on us. Give us your peace. Give us your peace. Preach it to us. Let us move to a posture of four. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and turn to page 12 on your worship.